0: Okay, so the last few times we've been together, we've talked about not really, it wasn't really on purpose, it just became this kind of series, how not to wander off. Um, We've talked about the American pastor, uh, very well-known, very well-known author as well, evangelical author who has just recently renounced his faith. Uh, Some of you may have seen this. He has actually said as much. His name is Joshua Harris. Uh, He has just left. Now, we've talked a little bit about this. This happens if you've been around the church very long. You realize that people are always walking off. For one reason or another, people who profess to be Christians decide they no longer are Christians. Again, let me preface all this by saying, we understand biblically, you cannot lose your salvation if you in fact have it. That's not the question. The the, the question is not, can a true believer lose their salvation? Biblically, that's impossible. It cannot happen. The real question is, do I belong to God in the first place? Was my profession of faith real? Or was it prompted by merely emotion or convenience or some crisis or need? Which oftentimes many conversions are prompted by these things. Uh, I mentioned with respect to Joshua Harris or anyone who walks away from Christ that it's a result of never really, truly fearing God. There may, I suspect that he grew up in a Christian home. I suspect that he just sort of adopted his parents' faith. He just decided he would believe like they believe. It sounded pretty good to him. It made some good sense. Um, It might have even worked for him in some temporal way. But again, he never truly feared God. He never truly sought to be holy. These are some things we've been talking about recently as you know sanctification what's your assurance that you're a true believer it's not the prayer you prayed it's not the ordinance you did it's not the church you belong to what's your genuine assurance it's it's alive in your life right it's alive in your life that's our real assurance it's it's first john you can just go read that famous little letter first john For people like Harris and others who walk away from Jesus, it's never really desiring or purposing to become holy. You know, we've talked about it a lot. Some of you may remember Victor from Romania. He and I used to talk about this all the time, this utilitarian view of God. How can I use God for my own purposes? This is the depth to which much of the modern church has devolved. I just want to use God. I just want to get a blessing. It's never really about fearing him and loving him and coming to worship him. So we've been looking at Colossians chapter 3. And what we've seen the last few times we've been together, real Christians don't wander off. They don't wander off from the church. Colossians 3.1, we keep seeking the things above where Jesus is seated. Real Christians don't wander off, Colossians 3.2. We set our minds on the things above, not on earthly things. Real Christians don't wander off, Colossians 3.5. We consider our earthly bodies as dead to sin. We don't wander off, Colossians three nine and 10. You heard the text read, we are laying aside the old self and putting on the new self. This is your responsibility. We understand that God is sovereign in salvation. We understand he's sovereign in sanctification, but we are called to exercise our will. God, all the way through the Bible, calls his people to obedience. If you have no taste for obedience, you don't know anything about the biblical God. If you have no taste for it, if you don't desire to obey the Lord, if you don't desire to honor him, in your life. So, you heard the text read. I wanted to pick up here verse 11 through 17. It just continues this same emphasis how not to wander off. So, I thought I would begin like this. Let me just ask you this. What's your favorite verse in the Bible? Anybody got one that they would like to share? Your favorite. John 3:16. That's a famous one. We all probably know that one, Eleni. I don't know the verse. It's okay. Okay. Love that one. George Mueller, was a George Mueller. George Mueller loved that verse. And he actually built his first orphan house on that promise that God gave him in the Psalms. It's in the Psalms, but I forget which one. I have a, I have a favorite. If someone asks me, what is your favorite verse? Uh, I don't have to think about it. Uh, it, it's, um, yeah, it, contains all the, it contains the origin, the reason, the purpose and goal of all things. I love the verse but maybe a little theology before I tell you what it is. Uh, you know, I like to ask you the question pretty regularly. Why does God create? We all know the answer to that, right? For His glory. It's not hard. God creates for His glory. There's a verse in Colossians, actually, Colossians 1.16, that addresses that. You may be aware of it, for by him, Jesus Christ, all things were created. All things have been created by Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. Colossians 1:16. It's all about Christ. I've already said it earlier. It's all about Christ, right? It's all about Jesus. It's not about you. It's about Christ. He's the point. He's always been the point. He will always be the point. And I'm going to share this verse with you. It's the start of a brand new year. Uh, I consider September the the start of the brand new church year. It's a great way to start. Of course, it's a John Piper quote. I share it with you three or four or five times um, a year, but let me read it to you. I love this this verse. Pardon me, this this quotation in creation. God went public with the glory that reverberates joyfully between the father and the son and the spirit. So the eternal happiness of the Godhead spilled over into the work of creation. All his works are simply the overflow of his infinite exuberance for his own excellence. I love that last sentence. Before I die, I want to write a sentence like that. I've never gotten close. All of his works are simply the overflow of his infinite exuberance for his own excellence. I think every born-again Christian understands that kind of talk. So, the temporal and the eternal is a trajectory into the infinite exuberance of God. Why does God create for His glory? And the true believer is caught up in it. We will taste, as C.S. Lewis says, the glory of God. He doesn't share his glory with us, but we will be enveloped in it. We will see it. We will delight in it. So, my, va- my favorite verse, Romans 11:36, for from him, through him, and to him are all things, to him be the glory forever. It's my favorite verse. It's, it's the Bible, it's, it's the cosmos, it's all of life and eternity, right there, right? For from him, through him, and to him are all things. You're right. I've already said it. You're right. It's not about you. And I always tell you this. Aren't you glad? You're not that interesting. It's not about you. Praise God, it's not about me. I would be so bored if it were about me. Think how small and limited and restrictive, restricted and unimaginative your life would be if it were in fact all about you. I often wonder, you know, I'm an old man and I often wonder how people can get to be my age and not know Christ. I think it would have killed myself a long time ago. I'm, you know, I, I don't want to startle you or anything, but I just find myself completely uninteresting apart from Jesus Christ. Um, I don't know how people live very long. You know, when you're growing up, you think, well, there's something new in the world that's going to really make it happen for me. And you just realize the older you get, there's really nothing in the world that's going to make it happen for me. What, what did what does Solomon say in Ecclesiastes? God has set eternity in our heart and you know it's true. It doesn't matter what you get. You want something It doesn't matter that the dream you've always had, when you get it, trust me, I'm an old guy. When you get it, you're going to want something else. You're always going to want something else. You know what you want. The human heart must have God. And if you're not pursuing him, you lose. You lose. So it's all about Jesus. And tonight in Colossians 3.11, you heard the text read, the Apostle Paul tells us that Christ is all and in all. He is all and in all. This God, the from him and through him and to him are all things God. This God, the by him and for him, all things were created God. This God is our God and he has offered himself to us, right? And he's, you, you heard the text read, the chosen, the elect, I think was, what, what version were you reading from? New the New King James. The elect. We've been called into relationship with this amazing God. And in his letter to the Colossians, this is why Paul is so exercised. If you haven't read the first two chapters, he's so exercised about man-made religion, about adding religion to Christ. Paul hates this. Every New Testament writer hates this. You know, any kind of church you're in, if they've added a bunch of extra biblical things to it, you know you're in a false church. God hates religion added on to the simple truth of the grace of Jesus. Man-made religion, pseudo-Christianity, it's a stench in the nostrils of God. Who is Jesus? Paul has told us. Let me just give you a summary. Colossians 1, he's the creator. Colossians, pardon me, Colossians 1.16. Colossians 1.17, he's the eternal God. Colossians 1.17, again, he's the sustainer God. Colossians 1.20, he's the redeemer God. Colossians 2, 9 and 10, Jesus is the fullness uh, of all deity and exercises sovereign rule and authority over all. As we mentioned six weeks ago, between chapter 2 and chapter 3, there's a, there's a transition. Anybody remember what it is? It's, Paul's, it's really Paul's pattern. Um, he, lays out, he lays out the doctrine, and then he makes the transition, right? He moves into application. So he says, this is the gospel, this is who Christ is, and then he says, this is what you need to do with it. This is what you're supposed to do with it. You want to have assurance in your life? Live it out. Search and hunger and and seek holiness. Is there holiness in your life? This is what sanctification is all about. I'm going to read it to you again. Verse 1 of chapter 3. If, big if, we've said that each time. If. You have been raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things above. Set your heart and mind on the things above. Verse five, consider yourself dead. Is this true of you? Have you considered yourself dead to sin? And lay aside the old self and put on the new self. We talked about it last week. When a, when a first century Christian was baptized, in many places, they would re- he would remove his robe, his old robe. It would be burned. They would give him a new robe as he was baptized. Symbolic of laying aside the old self, putting on the new self. What's your assurance that you won't wander off? You're doing this. You're laying down the old stuff. You're picking up the God stuff, right? You're laying down the old sin You're turning away from it and you're picking up holiness. You want to have assurance that you'll never wander off? This is what Christians do. If this is not important to you, you need to come talk to me. (laughs) If this is not important to you, this, this process of sanctification, you have a, let me just say it this way, you have a lot to be concerned about. Verse 10, we didn't spend much time on verse 10 last week. Put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. I looked up this Greek word translated renewed. It means to be changed into a new kind of life. You want to be assured that you'll never wander off? You're being changed, right? Hey, again, you know, I can pull rank on you. I'm an old man. I've seen my life change. I've seen it. I've seen it. I'm not who I was. I'm not who I, who I will be. God still has much work to do in my life, but I'm not who I was. I can see the victory over sin. I can see it. I've experienced it. You should be experiencing it too. You should be experiencing that I'm able to lay down the old stuff by faith in God and delight in God I'm picking up the new stuff, man. I'm picking up the infinite exuberance (laughs) for his own excellence. You know, I'm finding joy and delight in who God is. You know, I've already mentioned this, but you know, there's just a lot of bored people, man. You just run into a lot of bored people, don't you? Don't you just run into a, a lot of bored people? They don't know God. They have no idea how awesome he is. And how deeply rewarding and beautiful and wonderful it is to be in relationship with the Creator. Man, if it weren't for Christ, I would be bored out of my mind. Only God can fill the heart of man. Paul mentions in Colossians 1, 27, Christ in us, the hope of glory, right? Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have begun to taste the glory of God through the spirit of God. So you heard the text read verses nine and 10 lay aside the old self and it's evil practices. Are you doing it? Well, you, you, have, you have some assurance that your profession wasn't, wasn't false. I wasn't just doing some religious thing. I wasn't just performing for my mom and dad. I wasn't just performing for the elders or the deacons or the pastor. Yeah, something's going on here. I have a taste for it. I have a taste to change. I have a taste for it. I want it. Because I get more of God As I lay down the old things, lay aside the old self, put on the new self, verse 10, being renewed to a true knowledge. According. How do we get that true knowledge? You tell me, how do we get the true knowledge? We watch Oprah. No, that's wrong. We're in the word of God. We are students of the word of God. So. We are renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one, according to the one who created us, according to God. Verse 11, this renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek, Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all. In all, Paul says, hey, man, this is not about your Greekness or your Jewishness, your ethnicity, your religiosity, your cultural or educational status or your social standing. This is about knowing God. The rest of that stuff doesn't matter at all. Doesn't matter at all. This is about knowing God. This renewal. Did you notice my text? I don't think... um, I don't think that Rohan's text used this word, verse 11, a renewal in which there is no distinction. This sanctification, we're all one in it, right? We were all the same before sanctification. What were we before the process started? What were we? Vessels of wrath, right? And we're all the same after God starts that process. What are we now? If we're in Christ, what are we now? Vessels of mercy and grace, right? So we're, we're all the same in our sanctification. It's one thing I love about ICM is the diversity. 92 nations over 15 years. Karen and I love it. We love every minute of it. We love having friends all over the world. We love being able to, you know, have a free place to stay wherever we want to go. That's really cool. That's the least of it, obviously. But I love ICM. It's not, it's not about, you know, ethnicity. It's not about nationality. It's not even, it's not about denomination. It's about we are lovers of Christ. You know, we don't have a Scythian section in the church. We don't have one. (laughs) We don't have any kind of section in the church. We're all the same. We're all being sanctified by the, the work of the Holy Spirit. There's a A radical oneness that's going on. And this was radical in the first century, man. It was just radical in the first century. People and races and classes did not mix. But Christians do. Because we're all the same. We're all the same in Jesus Christ. Christ is all and in all. We are way too much in love with Him to worry about our differences. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. So Jesus has called us to be radical lovers of one another. We we don't see the distinctions. We we love one another. It's a hallmark of true conversion. First John, you know what first John says, loving the brethren. This is how you know. You're in Christ. You will love the brethren. Again, it's, it's the outworking of sanctification, right? It's not something I did when I was eight. It's something that's happening now. It's something that never stops happening. I'm learning to love the brethren. That's just one thing that John talks about in 1 John. Of course, you know what Jesus says in John 13, If you have love for one another, even as I have loved you... All men will know you're mine. They'll know you by this. There is no distinction in the church. We're all the same. We're adopted children. Period. We're adopted children. So you guys understand the flow of Colossians, right? Paul annihilates man-made, the man-made religion pseudo-Christianity, the Christ plus Gospels, he annihilates and then he reminds us that we are intimately and personally saved by the radical grace and love of God. And then he says, you're to live this out. It's what I've already shared with you from the Colossians passage. You're to live it out. It's supposed to be alive in your life every day. Sanctification is supposed to be alive and well in your life. Let's pick up here. Verse 12, Colossians three. And so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Now, don't you love it that you're the chosen of God? You know, I mean, I've preached, I've preached about the elect of God and the chosen of God, the called of God, the predestined of God before. And I've had people get up and walk out. And it's like, wait a minute. I'm reading the Bible to you. You have a problem with the way God saves you? You have a problem with the way God saves a man? You have a problem with it? You do have a huge problem. It's the only way to get saved. Biblically, it's the only way to be saved. Many churches will not talk about the sovereignty of God in salvation. Well, what I want to say is this is blasphemous. This is blasphemous. We'll see it on the last day. All the false teachers and all the false denominations. We will see it on the last day. God is clear about how he saves his people. And he expects his preachers to proclaim it. And he expects... His congregants to receive it, even if you struggle with it. You know Ephesians 1. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Listen, I've told you this before. You know, when it gets really hard for me and I, I, when it's just hard as it can get and I don't know what else to do. And I just, it just feels like God has abandoned me. I always end up at Ephesians 1, right? Wait a minute, Jim. I know it's hard today, but wait a minute, but... You know, in eternity past, how does it say it? I was chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Right? I'm secure before I'm born. I'm secure before the foundation of the world for all eternity. Once you're secure in God, you're secure forever. Beloved, God means for this to encourage and empower us to be who we're supposed to be in the world. Your salvation, if you've never been taught about predestination and election, uh, your salvation is way bigger than you think it is. It's way more mysterious. It's way more beautiful. It's way more worship provoking. Most churches won't teach it. We do. Why? Because it's biblical. Why? Because the Bible teaches it. So if you have a problem with it, come talk to me. I'll try to, talk you out of your problem. Um, but you know, you know, understanding the Bible correctly is it should blow your mind a little bit. I had someone tell me one time I was counseling with this person over years. And, and they were telling me, they were saying, Jim, all that you're telling me and all the books you're, you're getting me to read, it's like I'm getting more and more confused about God. And I said, well, that's probably an indication that you're actually now looking at the true God. There is mystery here, right? We're we're to embrace the mystery, love the mystery. If you think you can explain God fully, you don't know who you're talking about. There is mystery with him. So as Paul writes these lines, I can hear him between the lines saying, you're kidding me, right? You think you can earn favor with God? The God who elects, the God who predestines, the God who calls, the God who chooses. Real Christians are the chosen of God. We are the holy and beloved. It's not because of our legalism, mysticism or asceticism. It's not because of our Catholicism or Protestantism. It's because God has loved us. And you remember what God told the, the Old Testament Jew in Deuteronomy 7. Why has God loved me? God says, I have loved you because I have loved you. I have loved you because I have loved you. If you want a deeper explanation, um, I don't have one for you. Verse 12, God once again calls us to cooperate in our sanctification. Yes, uh, there's a sovereign aspect to sanctification. He's doing all the heavy lifting, but we are called to cooperate. Put on The label, put on God's label, put on a heart that reveals these things, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. For real Christians, it's not just beautiful doctrine that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It's the way we live. It's how we prosecute our Christianity, I've been in lay and vocational ministry for 35 years, okay? And I've I've watched a lot of Christians come and go. I've watched ministers who could not forgive. They could not forgive. And what I like to challenge people is, if you cannot forgive, you don't know anything about Jesus Christ. If you cannot forgive, whether they're in the church or out of the, outside the church. If you cannot forgive, you don't know anything about the biblical God. He's forgiven you, right? God has called us to be ready to forgive. And I don't need to explain the, the attributes here the, uh, of the true believer. You know what these words Mean. Uh, I did like the fact that he said, "Bear with one another." It 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 um, it means to endure. To be long-suffering, we've talked about it many times. It's been on my heart for a couple of years since I saw the text in one of Peter's letters, right? What do we do when we're persecuted? What do we do when someone attacks us? What do we do? What does a true believer do? I know it's not natural to do this, but what do we do when when someone comes after us, when someone slanders us, when someone attacks us? What do we do? We give it back to them, right? We drop the hammer on them. Wait, no. We give a blessing. Now, this may be one of the hardest things God calls us to do. You want assurance (laughs) that God's at work in your life? Learn how to give a blessing to the man who attacks you. This is supernatural, beloved. This uh, is for sure supernatural. So bear bear with one another. Whether it's persecution, injury, threats, insults, complaints, lies, defamation, God says bear with one another. You may remember Paul in, in, in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, you know, he was, he was rebuking the Corinthians for taking each other to secular court. He says, why not rather be wronged than go to the unbeliever's? I love what Paul told the Philippians, Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Colossians 3, verse 13. Bear with one another, forgiving one another as Jesus Christ forgave you. Verse 14. And beyond all these things, put on Love. I've known men and women, you you probably have known them too, that are pristine in their doctrine, but they can't forgive. They can't be humble. They can't be long-suffering. They can't forget. They They have to carry the grudge. They have to strike back. They have to score one in return. Jesus says, my people aren't like that. How many times are we to forgive? What did Jesus say? Remember what he told Peter? 490 times. Have you ever forgiven anybody 490 times? Have you ever even gotten close to 490 times? Of course you haven't. You know. Which is simply a metaphor for what? Every time. Every time you forgive. Every time. 7 times 7. Isn't that 490? 70 times 7. 70 times 70. That's 490, right? Some of you smart people. All right. I thought that was thought I had my math right. When you encounter someone who won't forgive, you know who you are encountering. In fact, this is a walking, talking oxymoron to claim that I'm a Christian and be unforgiving, particularly to my brothers, but even to those who are in the world. Verse 15 Let peace, the peace of Christ, rule your hearts. I, like, I looked up the Greek here. Let, let the peace of Christ officiate in your heart. Let, let the, the love of Christ be uh, uh, the umpire. Let, let the love of Christ make the calls in your heart. That's a powerful thing if you think about it. It's a very powerful thing. Do you have the mind of Christ? Is he in you? Will you let him rule? This is what Paul is calling us to. And then you gotta love the end of verse 15 there. What's the last thing he says? The end of verse 15. What's the last thing he says? Be thankful. Rohan and I were talking about it earlier. When was the last time you thanked God for your cognitive, your coherent cognitive ability? We were talking about my mom and her dementia. When was the last time you when was the last time you thanked God that your mind works the way it was designed to work? I bet none of you in here ever have. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or own up to it. I bet none of you in here have ever thanked God for a sound mind. You just woke up with it. You think, I guess I deserve it. I deserve a sound mind. No, you don't. When you're around someone who has dementia, you realize what a gift a sound mind is. And what a gift memories are. And have you ever thanked God for it? What's my point? My point is, if you're thankless, there's something bad wrong if you claim to be a Christian. My point is, we can never thank God enough, but don't let God find you thankless, beloved. Don't you be a complainer. Don't you be a victim. You're not a victim unless you're in hell which is where all of us should be. You're still not a victim. You just got justice. Don't be a victim. You're not a victim. Learn to be thankful, beloved. You'll be a happier person. (laughs) You will be a happier person if God takes everything. Those of you who know him who are sitting here tonight, if God takes everything, You will be thankful in Christ. If He takes it all, every temporal blessing, if it's all gone tomorrow, will you be like Job? Will you drop to your knees and worship God? This is what true believers ultimately do. Let's finish up. Verse 16: Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. What's He saying? What's He saying? Be in the word. You want full assurance? Be in the Word. Bring your life uh, into conformity with the Word. If you don't know the Word, you can't live the Word. You want assurance? It's living the Word. It's not what you did when you were eight. It's, what you're, it's how you're living now. It's, it's 1 John, beloved. It's all present tense. What's, what's going on in your life right now? Right? Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of what? The Lord Jesus. (laughs) Is that true of you? Hey, I know we all force. I'm not talking about perfection up here. I got miles to go. But when you read the Bible, you realize how high the call is, right? And you realize that you really need to be working at this. This is not going to happen by accident. Christianity is not going to happen by accident. Sanctification is not going to happen by accident. You have to want it. You have to fight for it. You have to lay your hands on it. Beloved, that's what Christianity is. It's not like the rest of the world religions. Paul says elsewhere, I think it's in Corinthians, these momentary light afflictions cannot touch the blessedness we possess in Christ. We will not wander off if we remember Colossians chapter 3. So we are about the Word in this church. Those of you who've been around very long, you realize that's all we do, we do the Word. I'm not going to waste your time with anything else. Who cares what I think? Who really cares what you think? Nobody cares. What we want to know at ICM is what does God think? What does God think? That's what really matters. The Holy Spirit says God's word. God's word, we are to dwell in it. It is to dwell in us. You remember, you remember Jesus, what Jesus said in John 8. If we abide in his word, we shall know the truth and the truth shall make us free And we would be free to live holy lives. Verse 16 is just a call to freedom. Man-made religion is just so tiresome. But the Word of God is freedom. I know the world sees it just exactly the opposite. But the true disciple, the true believer, the one in relationship with God, understands that they are now free to live holy right? And holy is the best way to live. Again, we all have miles to go. We don't fully arrive in this life, but we are moving in, the, in that direction. So God has personally given you his word. What are you doing with it? Are you eating it? Are you owning it? Are you living it? As I said to you last week, if you're not a student of the word of God, you will wander off. One day you simply will wander off. It, it this is always a hallmark of people who leave. They're no longer in the Bible. They no longer love it. They no longer need it. They no longer want it. They no longer live it. They'll, 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 they will wander. If you're not in the Bible, you will wander off. If you're not in the Word of God, mark it down. You will wander off. So, how did Paul say it to the Corinthians? Whatever you do, do all. To serve your own best interests. Do all to ensure that you are temporally secure. Do all to make sure that you have every comfort and luxury. Do all uh, to your own acclaim and reputation. No, that's not what he said. First Corinthians 10 31. Whatever you do, do to the glory of God. You want assurance in your life that you belong to God. There you go. Whatever you do, do to the glory of God. So what does it look like? What does that look like? Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. If that's true of you, you will not wander off. If it's true of me, I will not wander off. You and I will meet on the other side and we will spend eternity delighting in the infinite exuberance of our Creator and our Redeemer. I, I think this is an important thing to think about. It's why I believe the Lord has led me to talk to you about these things. Some of, you, some of you have seen me baptize people in this room who have wandered off. Some of you know that this happens. You've seen it in your families. You've seen it in churches that you used to belong to or were a part of. We need to understand what's going on. We need to understand it. So I want to exhort you cooperate with God in your sanctification cooperate be at work be at work with the holy spirit in your life let's pray together Lord we thank you for the text <clears throat> we thank you for this exhortation we thank you for this teaching This is not hard, this is not complicated. This is not difficult. Would we have assurance that we belong to you? It's called sanctification. It's called putting down the old stuff and picking up the God stuff. This is, this is what it is. This is what Christianity is on the pages of the New Testament. This is what true believers did in the Old Testament lives are changed lives are irrevocably changed when we genuinely come to God and in the New Testament context when we are indwelt by the Spirit of God how could we not change how could we not love holiness how could we not pursue it how could we not take advantage of this gift your word that you have, in which you have revealed yourself to us and the way of salvation. Oh God, I pray that we find our assurance not in professions and not in sacraments or, or ordinances or membership. I pray that we find our assurance in the fact that your hands are upon us and you are completing the good work you've begun. You are making us into the image of Jesus You are making us holy. Father, I pray that is our assurance. We again thank you for these few minutes together as your body. I pray for each one as we leave. I pray that we'll go out into the world and be the salt and the light. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. And I'll close this with a benediction. I may come up with a new benediction one day. But I've always loved this one. When I was a boy, this is the one we closed with, and it's like, you know, I love it. So, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. God bless. Have a great week. Hope to see you next time.